Good morning, church. And it is good to be here. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be gathered. Um, I don't know. I'm I just. It's a beautiful day. It's kind of hard to not be joyous this morning, and and I'm glad that that the Lord has done that for us. We are going to be in Second Corinthians chapter ten today. We're going to read all of Second Corinthians chapter ten as we are looking at this. I've t- entitled this "Boast in the Lord," and. I, I am a lousy writer of titles. Like, I would be the guy, if I worked in a newspaper office, they would be like, yeah, keep everybody but Pratt on headlines. Like, that would just, no, he can't do it. And I'm still not 100% sure I'm, I'm boasting the Lord is, is the right title here for this message. Um, but it's what I've given it. Who knows? Six, seven years, I could revise it and change it all together. We'll just see how, how God moves in me to do that. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If not, don't worry. The scripture will be on the screen for you to read. Let's go ahead and hear hear the word of the Lord. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away. I beg of you. That when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging a war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority... Which the Lord gave up, built, gave, let me try that verse all together. For if, even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening with, frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, and his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned us to reach even you for when we are not overextending our for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others but our hope is that our faith is that your faith increases our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done 
and one another's in another one's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you for the day you've given to us. I thank you for this time we've had to to gather, to hear your word, and to respond to your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we worship you through the hearing of your word and through the declaration of your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us, you would challenge us, you would um, have us seek you deeper. Father, I pray that that even though I've, I've been stuttering and stumbling a little bit as I just read your scripture, that that would go away, that you would be exalted, you would be glorified, and that you would put me aside and speak uh, in spite of my frailties and my inabilities. Father, I pray that as we, we pursue your word and we seek it out, that you would just genuinely move in our hearts, um, have us dig deeper to know you more. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so here we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're winding down the book of 2 Corinthians. It's kind of a, a, a spot, like I feel I, I shared in a small group this morning, we've done this fantastic study of Paul in the last year when we've read and preached through Romans and, and the first and second Corinthians and, and and we've gotten to know the apostles as, as we've done this. And and as Paul is is beginning to close out his letter to the Corinthian church, this this one the second one we have recorded in scripture, he turns from giving us practical advice in Christian living, which is what he did in chapters eight and nine about how to give and how to give generously and how to to give and be cheerful in doing that back to this initial warning of false teaching that we saw really even with the first Corinthian letter, right? And how it kind of began here. And, he, and he's reminding us to be aware of false teachers and to reject false teachers and, and to, to be aware of false teaching and, and to reject false teaching. And specifically, Paul's getting ready to address those who are still rejecting his authority as an apostle, right? And his authority of the gospel to be able to preach the gospel message that he preaches. Right? These enemies of the gospel have begun criticizing Paul, uh, and it's weird, they're, they're criticizing him because of his humble appearance when he last visited Corinth. I find that interesting that, that they're going to go after that kind of thing. Now, Paul addresses this, right? I, he appears humble here when he's in person because of the meekness and the gentleness of Christ in him. Now, this is tough. Meekness and gentleness in a Western society are not considered virtues. Right? They're considered weakness. And, and we need to understand that that is wrong. That is a wrong mindset for any Christian to have. That meekness and gentleness are, are not a sign of weakness. They're not a sign of spineless, spinelessness. Rather, gentleness and meekness, specifically the gentleness and meekness of Christ, that is a sign of, of, de, of, of deliberate patience, right? I want you to think about it that way, that gentleness and meekness is a sign of your life of having deliberate patience. See, Paul is modeling in his gentleness and meekness, he's modeling Jesus's patience in waiting for his enemies in the Corinthian church to repent before he comes back and he levies judgment on them, right? Jesus... God in the flesh has gentleness and meekness on us. He's deliberately patient as he waits for us to repent. 
But when the time comes to stop waiting, he will levy judgment. Paul's modeling that exact same thing in his meekness and his gentleness. Don't ever look at meekness and gentleness in Scripture as a weakness or spinelessness. There's a deliberateness to this. There's, there's a deliberation that's taking place. There's patience happening. It is a much stronger person who is patient than the person who leaps into the situation. And we need to not miss that. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I love that. I love, we talk about this in small group too, and I can't, and like how much joy there is in that small group time. I can't express that to you guys, but, but I love it when the Holy Spirit allows Paul to be free in some things. And this is one of those. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. Paul here is, is using the accusations of the enemies that have been said about him against them, right? He, he's, he's taken a quote that they have said, has gotten back to him, and now he's warning this church, the, the, the folks that are, that are in the Corinthian church who are still unrepentant, who are still warring against Paul and the gospel that he brings, that, that they don't want to see him in anything other than his humble side, right? That, that y'all have seen me humble, y'all have seen me meek, you've all seen me quiet, and then I get real bold when I write a letter. I'm telling you, you don't want to see me be bold face to face. He's giving them that warning. They don't want to see him when he has to be bold. And what the unrepentant people in the church don't understand is, is that as they actively oppose Paul and they actively oppose the gospel is how inconsistent they have been. Right? And Paul's even pointing out their inconsistencies in their life here. Right? And and what he's saying is, how can, and Paul's doing it by showing them how consistent God has kept Paul through all of this. Again, how consistent God has kept Paul through all of this. See, they're calling on Paul to either be bold all the time or to be humble and meek all the time. See, they desire a, a false consistency. An earthly consistency that makes a person conform to the desires and to the will of the people around them and the influences of the world rather than a consistency that conforms to the will and the desires of God through Jesus Christ. And in trying to appear consistent before man, they have become inconsistent before God. Now, see, Paul may appear to be physically weak. And, and, and we know that there's something happening. He asks God to remove a thorn from his flesh three different times and spends time in prayer doing it. And we don't know what that ailment exactly is. Um, but, but he appears apparently to them when he shows up in person to be physically weak. But the thing that they're also missing is, is, is what Paul lacks in, in physical strength. He more than makes up for in spiritual strength. Samson may have been the strongest man in the Old Testament <laughs> physically, but he was awfully spiritually weak. Paul may be a physically weak man in the New Testament, but he's awfully spiritually strong. Don't underestimate that spiritual strength. Right. 
Paul's boldness is a spiritual boldness. It's a holy and godly boldness that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Paul. And it does remarkable things in Paul's life. And then when Paul uses it in the lives of others, it does remarkably incredible things in their lives as well. And the thing that they're also missing out on is that Paul is prepared to wage war if necessary. Right? When he comes back to Corinth, he's prepared to wage war. And his physical weakness will not matter one bit in this war. Not an iota, nothing. Because this war is a spiritual war. Physical weapons are no good. One must use spiritual weapons for a spiritual war. And those weapons are prayer and faith, the Word of God and the power of the Spirit in our lives. Right? And there's nothing made on earth that can stand against those weapons. By the power of the Spirit, Paul tears down the strongholds that have taken some of the Corinthian church captive. And the strongholds are, are these things like wrong thinking, unchristlike living, the rejection of biblical authority, the rejection of biblical leadership. And Paul's going to come in through the power of the Spirit and he's going to break those strongholds down. He's going to tear those walls not just down, but to shreds. He's prepared for that. And the thing is, is, is these strongholds that Paul's getting ready to go into Corinth and tear down and shred and, and destroy, these strongholds are still around today. The battle that Paul was fighting 2,000 years ago is still raging today. The weapons that Paul used, though, this is the beautiful part about this, the weapons that Paul used are still available to us. And the things that, the, about that is that those weapons are still in prime fighting shape. We still have the Word of God. We still have the power of the Spirit in our lives. We still have faith. We still have prayer. And just like Paul, we need to be using those weapons daily. Because here's the interesting thing about these kinds of weapons. Like I thought about this, and, and sometimes we have to hone a knife, right? Here's the thing about these spiritual weapons. They don't need any honing. They don't need any sharpening. They don't need any oiling. They don't need any care that way because what do they do? They hone us. They sharpen us. They oil us and prepare us, not the other way around. And Paul knows that. And we need to know it too. But I also want us to look at the way Paul wages his war. The example he sets here is fantastic. Right? And it's really important for us to take a look at it. And this should be, I'm going to be bold enough to say this, this should be the normal and correct way for followers of Christ to deal with those who come against us spiritually. If we're going to engage in spiritual conflict, if we're going to engage in spiritual warfare, if we're going to be engaged with, with those who oppose the gospel in our lives, and therefore they oppose us because of the gospel in our lives, this should be the normal and correct way to do it. Paul entreats his enemies. 
He takes his spiritual combatants and he entreats them. That means he's, he's speaking kindly to them, having a conversation. I want, I, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you. And how does he plead with them? Through the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He is patient as Christ is patient. He waits for them to repent. He prays for them. He loves them. He gives them scripture. Paul just keeps giving them Jesus. There's no arguments. There's no name-calling. There's no rushing into battle. There's no charging the gates with a water gun kind of situation here. Paul is simply going to sit back, use the weapons that God has given him, the word, the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, prayer and faith, and let God do the work. He's just going to do that and let God do the work. And this is, this is a much-needed reminder for us that Christians engage in spiritual battle with other image-bearers of God because that's what's happening here. The people who are combatants with, with Paul are still image-bearers of God. They are still made in his likeness. They're still made in God's image. And, and when we're, we're dealing with folks who are made in God's image, it should never be the goal of ours to subjugate our enemies. The goal of any spiritual conflict with others is to go from being enemies and combatants to friends and family. Do you get that? That, that, that when we are engaged in a spiritual conflict, we want to go from being enemies and combatants to being friends and families, to change from nemesis to brother because the kingdom of God is made up of enemies who have been adopted and turned into family. We were enemies to God and he adopted us and made us children, sons. And he continues to do that work to make the kingdom. See, see this, is, this, is, this is not about conquering anyone. It's not even about winning. Oof. Oh, that's hard to say in 21st century Western society in America where we're competitive about everything. And, you know, it's not about, it's not about winning. No, it's not about winning. Spiritual warfare is about declaring a truce, a true truce where there is surrender. It's about surrendering. It's about a truce that leads to repentance, and we know that repentance leads to surrender because those who are spiritually in opposition to you, right, if they're opposing you because of your stand for the truth of God, they're not really in combat with you. They're in combat with the Lord. They're in rebellion against him. And our heart's desire should be for that rebellion to cease. 
And the only way that that rebellion ceases is when our spiritual enemies become our spiritual brothers. See, it should be our heart's desire and our heart's goal to see our spiritual enemies come to God through Jesus Christ. We should spend time praying for them. Pray for their families. You should continue to give them Scripture and you continue to ask the Holy Spirit to work in their lives the way He worked in your life. Think back. Think back to what it was like when you really had that realization that I am a sinner and I need Jesus. That moment that it hit you that you may not really be the Christian you think you are or that moment when it just slammed you that I know I'm nothing without Christ. Pray for that moment in the life of those who are your enemies. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work in convicting them the way He convicted you. Pray for Him to change them the way He changed you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how the kingdom of God would grow if believers desired to see enemies made into siblings? rather than if believers desired to win arguments. See, see that happens when you realize that, that you're just as broken and you're just as in need of repentance as those who oppose you. The only difference was is, is you accepted that call of the Holy Spirit and you did repent. That happens when you show them the mercy and the grace You'll see these people repent. You'll see them come to Christ when they are shown the mercy and the grace that was shown to you when you were led to Christ. And it's so important for us. Because see, even as Paul knows the power of the Spirit and the Word of God in his heart can, can destroy every argument these folks are ever going to throw against him, his true desire isn't to win the arguments. His true desire is to see these enemies of his in Corinth change, right? Change from being disobedient to God and being disobedient to his word to becoming obedient to God's word because every thought they now have is held captive to the things of Jesus Christ. They're held captive to Jesus. And, and that's Paul's whole ministry. Right? Paul's whole ministry is, is God using him to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy of the new covenant, right? the one that includes the Gentiles. And so what Paul did for Christ on the road to Damascus made Paul sufficient as a minister of the new covenant. And Paul was given the authority of an apostle then, and he, and he was given the heart to serve as a ministering pastor as God creates a people for himself through Jesus Christ. And Paul uses that authority that God has given him by Christ to bring others to Christ. And then he builds them up in Christ. I love that phrase, building them up. The idea of building them up is a very common theme in Paul's writings and in Paul's letters. And the image is that of this believer being built from the ground up and scaffolding being placed around them to secure them and to give them stability until such a time as they can stand on their own in the faith. 
But here's the thing about this idea. In, in this metaphor of building them up, right, the Christian life is one that's always under construction. I, I love this, right? Because it, it's going to need frequent remodeling. It's going to need frequent maintenance, right? Followers of Christ, every one of us is, who's a follower of Christ, we're fixer-uppers, Right? <laughs> We're fixer-uppers, and, and there's always going to be that. There are going to be times in our lives when the scaffolding will need to come back. And we're going to need to be secured, and we're going to need to be stabilized from time to time. And then there are going to be other times when we will be building the scaffolding around those who we love in Christ as we help them become stable and secure in the faith as well. Right, And Paul... He just simply cannot be near every person he loves in Jesus Christ to be their scaffolding. Think about that. We should be the same way. As we have carried the gospel message out to others, there are going to be people that we would love to be around all the time that we can't. And that's okay. right? Because Paul can't be at every church to help answer every question. He can't be at every church to rebuke and correct those who lead people astray. He can't be there all the time. It's a 4,000-mile trip in Paul's third missionary journey, and it took him four years. He can't be everywhere every, every time. So what does he do instead? He writes letters instead, right? Those who are leading believers astray accuse Paul in his writing of letters, the equivalent of today's keyboard warrior, Right? Uh, as, as they're kind of calling him out, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, verse 10, his letters are weighty and strong, but he is bodily weak. Uh, his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Right? They're accusing him of being a keyboard warrior. Right? Sitting in the basement, typing out what he wants to say, whatever. That's not who Paul is. He says in verse 11, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when we... When absent, we do when present. I ain't saying nothing in this letter. I ain't going to tell you to your face. Right? I have parent-teacher conferences. And parents come in and, and the kids say, do you want me to come in too? Well, I'm not going to tell your mama anything I wouldn't tell you. The look on her face goes, sometimes. I'm hoping these opposers of Paul, when they heard this, when this was read to them publicly from the pulpit of their church or publicly in that gathering, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do in present. They went, and it hit them. He means what he says, and he says what he means. Right? He'll say it in a letter, but he... He won't say it face-to-face -face is what they're accusing him of. But Paul assures them there's nothing said in his letters that he won't say face-to-face. -face. Why is that? Why is that? Because what is written by Paul is breathed by the Holy Spirit, and it's God's Word. It's God's Word. And as Paul is doing that, he's letting them know. We see a little bit of a shift in emphasis in verse 12. Not that we dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, 
but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves by, with one another, they are without understanding. In verses 1 through 11, Paul was defending his humility to live by Christ's example of meekness and gentleness, hoping and praying that all these unrepentant people would, would turn and come back to the truth of the gospel that they had first heard and they'd first responded to. Here Paul begins to defend his authority as an apostle. He shows that his ministry and that he meet the standards of being an apostle. And, and as Paul says this, now that we declare or compare, our, not that we compare or classify ourselves with those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves by one another, they are without standing. Again, I love it when the Holy Spirit frees Paul to say some things. And here, the Holy Spirit has freed Paul to get a little bit snarky, to use some irony in his letters. His opponents are accusing him of being too bold and, and using words that are too strong in his letters. Yet these guys continually brag about themselves regularly. They commend themselves and recommend themselves as true teachers of the word, right? They are all, each and every one of them, chairman of the Pat Yourself on the Back Committee. And Paul doesn't dare to join them in this kind of self-recommendation. These self-recommenders are, are without understanding because they have failed to understand the standards and why the standards for all of their boasting are completely wrong. They boast in one another. They boast in their abilities. They boast in their spiritual gifts. They boast in their experience, none of which is the standard set for biblical leadership within the church. Absolutely none of the standards that they boast of are standards set for apostolic leadership, which they are falsely claiming. In verses 13 and 14, Paul limits his boasting to just what God has given him and the ministry God has blessed him with. All right, and in doing so, he implies that those opposed to his ministry have kind of overextended themselves a little bit and gone beyond their limits in their boasting. All that Paul has done, he has done for the sake of reaching the lost, for the sake of the gospel. And again, that's one of these accusations that they have made, that Paul has overextended himself a little bit. He's gone out of his bounds to come minister to Corinth. See, these opponents of Paul are, are bragging and boasting about what they do. But the truth is that these guys are intruders and have done nothing but to create problems in the church and all of the churches that Paul has planted in this region. See, Paul wishes he's to be able to continue his church planting mission. His heart is for the unreached Gentiles, and he wants to take the gospel to places where Christ has never been preached. False teachers just keep coming after him, and they come in after the gospel has been established, and they try to pervert the truth. And as we read this, understand that Paul's fight is to fight for every believer. We are called to proclaim the truth of the gospel everywhere we are where god has planted us is our area of influence we have the right we have the duty to minister to those who need the gospel we're to scaffold up one another and to see it uh, and to see to it that, that people are being built up for the sake of christ and as we read this 
We are to understand that we're all going to face similar opposition to the gospel. And again, something that stands out to me as I'm reading this about these false teachers is the boasting that they do. Let one who boasts boast in the Lord, Scripture says, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. All through this letter, Paul speaks of the commendations and the boasting of the false teachers and the opponents of the gospel. It's it's kind of been a a sub-theme as we've read through it. And they brag about themselves. They brag about their abilities. They brag about their knowledge. They brag about their learning. They boast about the same things for their partners and their friends. But if you notice what they don't brag about, we never once see them brag or boast about God. We never once see them brag or boast about the things of the Lord. For us, 21st century believers, this is discernment practice. Those who boast of their own merits while claiming to be a minister of God, yet you seldomly hear them boast about the things of God, be wary. If the minister boasts about their education and all the people they have taught, yet they don't boast about Christ, be cautious. If the minister boasts about the circle of ministers they hang out with, and how they have the answers to fix all the ills of the church, yet they never boast about the Holy Spirit changing people's lives through the gospel, keep your distance. All human abilities, all human attainments are gifts of God. Nothing I have is mine. It was given to me by God. And when you and I recognize that, and we really internalize that, right? we're never going to be able to brag, we're never going to be able to boast about anything except what God has already done for us. False teachers boast differently than that. Be cautious, be wary, keep your distance. See, false teachers come in in many forms, and one of the more common forms false teachers present themselves is through the opposition of solid teachers of Scripture. This is often a critique of a a particular secondary or even tertiary, second-level or third-level concept within Scripture. This This is taking that small disagreement and then inflating it to the point that now they claim that the the solid teacher denies the truth of the gospel. So what do we do about this? When we see this sort of stuff happening, when it's coming against us, what do we do about this? What does it mean for Calvary Heights Baptist Church, March 2022? Well, the first thing we do is we return to the gospel. That's what Paul's been calling the whole time in both these letters to the Corinthians to do, to return to the gospel over and over and over again throughout the New Testament letters. We see this common thread that, it, that, that there's this positive, favorable response to the gospel once is not the only time. Your response to the gospel is not a one and done situation. I repented once. I don't have to repent again. It's wrong. It is wrong. 
Followers of Jesus need to have the gospel preached to them just as much as the lost need the gospel preached to them. And followers of Jesus, the beautiful thing is, is you have the ability to preach the gospel to yourselves now. You have the word. You have the Holy Spirit. You can do it to yourself. You know you've done it. You have been reading in scripture and you have come across something and you've gotten convicted. Why? Because you preached the gospel to yourself. And the Spirit used it to move in you. Preach the gospel to yourself. Return to the truth. See, when we flee from false teaching and false teachers, we can't just run in any random direction. we got to run back to the truth. And the way we do that, again, is to saturate ourselves in, in seeing the Word, reading the Word, hearing the Word, and then not just doing those things, not just seeing, reading, hearing, but then proclaiming. You want to internalize something. You want to make it real. Right? You got to start teaching it too. You don't really know it until you have to teach it. I can do it, but unless I can show you how to do it or I can teach you how to do it, do I really know it as well as I thought I did? That ups your game. And the more you proclaim the truth of the gospel, the more you're going to internalize the truth of the gospel. It's so important. The next thing we do is we pray for those who have succumbed to false teachers and we pray specifically that they return to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They return to the truth they heard at the first. We ask the Lord to to have meekness and gentleness of Christ in us and that it may abound in us so that we can then entreat these people that have, have turned, who may oppose us now because of their turn to the truth of Scripture. And we hope with a holy hope that they will repent and turn to Christ. And we are patient with them with a patience that only comes from the Lord. And the last thing we do, the last thing we do is is we make sure that any and all of our boasting is about our Lord. We boast and boast about what the Lord has done. We brag and brag about the things of Christ. Boasting and bragging are done to make something more appealing. Now, to be honest with you, God does not need us to make him more appealing. That's not going to happen. But here's the thing. When we boast in the Lord, we're letting those who need him know how appealing he is. Because we can't stop talking about him. And that's how we're going to win those folks for Christ. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word today and how it speaks to our hearts. I pray, Lord, I pray that as we get ready to go from here, that, that we do, we turn to the gospel first for ourselves so that we can then proclaim it to others. And that we begin to pray for those that we know need Jesus. We pray to, to them, to, to, to you for their sake. We pray that we ask that you would give us meekness and gentleness of Christ. That, that, that we can then take the scripture to them in a manner that they would be receptive to. We ask, Lord, that you would turn their hearts and have them repent that they see a lifestyle of repentance in our lives. And Father, we pray that as we 
as we boast, we boast only in you.